Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sailorville Church Podcast. This is Andrew Bush signing on here this this lovely Tuesday afternoon, although everyone else won't hear this till Wednesday, but that's okay. Uh, happy Tuesday anyway to all of you. Um, Andrew Bush here. I'm the high school director at Sailorville Church, and I'm joined in the studio today with the lovely David Tashner. Say hello to everybody, David. Hi, guys. It's great to be here. Um, we're here to talk about uh, this past Sunday. I had my first ever opportunity to teach on a Sunday morning at Sailorville Church. I've taught many times with our students in the youth group, but this was a different experience. Three services and lots of faces of people that I don't know or rub shoulders with all that often is a real privilege and a joy to be able to do that. And now I get to be a part of the podcast, too. And it's not any ordinary podcast, is it, David? Nope. We've, we're celebrating the 100th podcast Oh, tonight. my goodness. 100 episodes. For those of you who have joined us for every single episode, God bless your heart and your soul. You're a special human being. And for those of us who are joining us for the very first time, welcome. You are in for a real treat on the Sailorville Church podcast. Um, this past Sunday, uh, we wrapped up our series in Ephesians. It was, it's been an epic series. I think I mentioned in all the services that, including my message this week, we had 34 sermons. Uh, I talked to somebody afterwards in the coffee cove, and they said, oh, I thought that was a joke. No, we really have done 34 sermons from the book of Ephesians. It started way, way back. I don't even know how long ago, because we have taken a couple breaks in there. But uh, I mean, it was over a year ago, I think, that we started looking at uh, unwrapping God's gift, uh, the church. And uh, that kind of went through Ephesians 1, 2, and 3, and then we're looking at the church that walks with God in Ephesians 4 and 5, and basically since the beginning of 2023, we've been looking at the church at war in Ephesians chapter 6. So it's been a, a wild, wild ride. Dave, you got any highlights from that wild ride as you think back on our time in Ephesians? Anything that stands out to you is just a real memory maker on these 34 weeks we've spent. It, it has really been a great ride. Um, one, of the, one of the primo quotes uh, came from Pastor when he was starting the whole thing, the invisible war, when he began the Ephesians 6. And the quote is from Anonymous, and it says, he that is a slave to the compass has the freedom of the, sleep, the seas. So we think of a ship's captain and a a ship's captain to get where he needs to go is a slave to the compass. And when he's a slave to the compass, we think the Bible is our compass. The ship's captain can go anywhere in the world he wants to. Mm. And if we are, we don't want to be a slave to God's word, but we love the Lord so much for dying for us that we love his word and we see our savior through that. So that, and then the challenge from Kyle Pearson, for the men anyway, to read Ephesians every week, that really helped me understand, and especially one through three, find more security in the foundation of Christ. It was, it was really powerful. Mm. So many things that you could take away from this series. I love that quote, and I love that you mentioned the love for Jesus, for God and his word, because that was really the theme of this past Sunday. Uh, we talked about 
undying love for Jesus as we wrapped things up. Uh, kind of obscure verses. Oftentimes when you get to the end of these epistles of Paul, uh, you encounter some bizarre names as he lists some people that he wants to greet or say hi to or, or whatever, and then he often signs off. I think in every single one of his letters he signs off by saying grace to you. This letter to the Ephesians is the only one where he provides a caveat to that grace. He says, grace to all who love our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ with an undying love. And so that sort of caveat to the grace of God was something that I really centered the message on this past week. How do I know if my love for Jesus is undying, and and what's that undying love like? And so we talked about Tychicus. Uh, he's he's one of the guys in there. And, you know, uh, Dave, one of the real reasons that I have you here this afternoon on this podcast is because as I thought through people in our church that are a Tychicus, that sort of embody Tychicus to me, you were one of the first that came to mind. Uh, I mean, there's a, a number of people in our church, um, but I think especially of uh, many of our deacons, uh, faithful servants of the Lord who serve regularly and in, in, in maybe extra intense or special ways, uh, and yet they're not on the platform very often, they're not celebrated very much. And then you could say that about dozens and dozens of other faithful servants at our church that are just giving of their, their time and their talent and their treasure, uh, all without a lot of recognition uh, but they love the Lord Jesus with an undying love. And so I see you as a Tychicus in this church, and so that's the main reason why you're here today, I think, is I think you have a lot to share when it comes to what are some of the challenges of being a Tychicus and what's what are some of the joys of that, and how do you keep going with an undying love for Jesus through the long haul and so I'm really grateful to have you here this afternoon, brother. That's very generous of you. Thank you. Spoken like a true Tychicus. Um, we're going to get into some of those things that I just mentioned, but before we do that, I wanted to mention uh, a couple things that sort of ended on the uh, the editing room floor for my message. Uh, just a couple points that I almost threw in there, but uh, for sake of time and just clarity decided to drop them, uh, but I thought this would be a good place to flesh it out a little bit, because if there was one thing that I felt like lacked in some ways from my message, it was the specificity in the conclusion. I said I wanted people to keep their armor on, right? Um, we, If we want to have a love for Jesus that's undying, then we recognize that that love is a gift first and foremost, and then the second point was to keep your armor on, and we've fleshed out that armor over the last 10 weeks or so. Um, each piece of the armor, we've had half a dozen messages on those. So there's a lot that's already been said there, but there were two kind of sub-points that I maybe wanted to highlight, and the first is simply this. It kind of has to do specifically with the sword of the Spirit. Um how do I know my love for Jesus is undying? I, I think part of it starts by asking yourself the question, is my relationship with Jesus something that's characterized more by a glance 
or by gazing. This this idea of glancing versus gazing, it's not original with me. I heard it from a pastor at Watermark Church in Dallas, Texas, a guy named Timothy Atik, and he brought to my attention this idea. We were at a conference there last year, and he said, glancing versus gazing, and it really stuck out to me. Uh, he he said, how many of you met your spouse in college? And I leaned in because I met Jeannie in college. Uh, we both met at DMAC together. And he sort of drew this, this correlation between our relationship with Jesus and these other human relationships that we have that really made a lot of sense to me. Um, I didn't fall in love with Jeannie based on glances that I took at her during our early modern to modern era Western civilization class at DMAC. Uh, if you were to ask us the story of our love, it's not, uh, well, you know, we passed each other on the sidewalk every Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and, uh, you know, we kind of did a little wave and said hi, and then one day I just knew, and I pulled out a ring and got on one knee and, and asked her to marry me. No, our love grew as we started going from glances to gazes where I asked her out and when we started spending quality time together, when we sacrificed for one another, when we had these planned dates where we would intentionally sit down together and talk and and get to know one another. And why would we expect that our relationship with Jesus would be vastly different from that, Right. Um, I don't say, you know, I spend five minutes a day with my kids. We have a fantastic relationship, right? Uh, you would never say something like that. And yet so many times we think, man, I'm spending time in my Bible. And yet if we're honest, it might be about five minutes. And I come to church every Sunday once a week for one hour. Why don't I have a, a thriving, blossoming love for Jesus Christ? Well, Let's ask ourselves the question, are we glancing at Jesus or are we gazing at him? Is this something that we've invested in with real time and energy in the same way that we need to with human relationships? Or is this something that we've really just, we do five minutes of a Bible study because we feel like that's what we got to do, and then we leave, and we haven't really spent time with Jesus at all. Um, you know, I, I was reminded... Uh, you mentioned a verse earlier. Uh, in your presence, there is fullness of joy. And how's it end? In your right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. Yes. And I was thinking about that verse. In your presence, there's fullness of joy. And I was thinking that, okay, if I'm spending time with Jesus, quote unquote, but there's no joy in it, then am I really spending time with Jesus? If in his presence there should be fullness of joy, uh, it's it's a fair question to ask, I think. And it, it just made me think of the idea that it's possible to know the Word of God without knowing the author all that well. It's possible to know a lot of Bible study answers and facts about the Bible without having a really vibrant love for Jesus Christ. And uh, that was a big challenge to me because I think— I can be very guilty of spending time with the Word of God, but not really spending time with God. Is there anything you would say to that, David, where 
when you think about your own time in the Word or your own time with Jesus, what is it that helps you know that you've really spent time gazing at Jesus today? Or um, how can we develop this habit of gazing at Jesus as opposed to just taking glances? Do you have any practical advice there or things, best practices for you as you think through your own relationship with the Lord and what makes that vibrant? I, I do have a good contrast there because I went to a Christian school through eighth grade, did a lot of memory work, but the Lord didn't save me until I was 34 years old. That meant I spent 34 years essentially living as a hypocrite, mm. reading my Bible most days, you know, doing a devotion, getting on my knees to pray, but I really didn't love Christ. And so when the Lord saved me in 2004, I I had, I mean, Scripture just started pouring into me. I, I looked to Jesus, whom I had known about my whole life. You know, I knew the gospel that Jesus died on the cross, and he rose on the third day, and we celebrated Christmas and Lent and Easter, Ash, you know, that we celebrated the whole thing where I grew up. I knew what that was, but I didn't love my Savior mm. until he changed my heart, until he justified me, until he paid for my sins. And, and on that day, it was like a light bulb turned on, and the Bible opened up to me like the most beautiful flower you've ever seen. And I, Scripture was, I mean, I was memorizing Scripture by chapters at the time. Wow. And uh, I was also separated from my wife, which gave me time to do that, which, you know, I would not have picked that solution, but that was what the Lord used for me to just fully saturate me in his word. I had a man discipling me, you know, leading me through the scripture. He would say, just read it. Just read it, David. What does it say? And then he would encourage me that, yes, that's exactly what it says. Or, no, you missed it a little bit. Let's go look at this other verse. And so I feel like I was discipled pretty well. Mm. And and I just, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt from 30 years of ex- 34 years of experience what it was like not to have the Holy Spirit. And when the Lord gave me the Holy Spirit, it was night and day. And it was amazing. And, you know, just to complete the separation story with my wife, by God's grace, she invited me home a year and a half later because she saw enough change in me. And I I say this affectionately, I've gotten to sleep in the big bed ever since. That's not my goal, to sleep in the big bed. My goal is to love the Lord, but my wife sees of change in me, and that tells me something's going on and something's different today. And yeah. by God's grace, it continues to grow. And I think that's the mark of of our faith that that we persevere. Paul Washer, uh, one of the famous pastors nowadays, says that we. He will say to one of his brothers in the hallway, "You know, how are you doing, brother?" Well, I'm advancing, and that's my goal. Is mm. I just want to grow up into everything. And and that's Ephesians four fifteen. So yeah, I that's what growing up looks like to me. That and I you know I just the Lord is doing that. Yeah, I love that you brought that you mentioned you had somebody discipling you who loved mm-hmm. the Lord. I think there's so many people who constantly live their lives feeling dry, feeling like they're stuck, and yet they don't reach out for help in any sort of way, and then there's people that are 
wanting to disciple others but don't always know how or don't always know who there's no way that that this person would be interested in hanging out with me or hearing about what I do for my Bible reading or something, when in reality there's maybe some people that would say, oh my goodness, if somebody could just tell me how to read the Bible, then I would love that, right? And so um, just maybe a, a, an aside, an extra word of encouragement, if you're stuck, if you feel like your love is growing cold, getting someone to help disciple you, getting someone to help hold you accountable in some of these ways, or reaching out to maybe an older man or an older woman who can come alongside you and shepherd you in this way, go to somebody you respect, somebody who looks like they really love Jesus, and ask them, hey, what? can you give me some help here? And there's a lot of people that we can benefit from so much, uh, and we don't take advantage of it, though. But that's part of why the church exists. We, we need each other. We want to help push each other along the way. Amen to that. Um, one other thing that I was going to bring about, so if that idea of glancing versus gazing maybe primarily has to do with the sword of the Spirit, don't drop the sword, right? Spend time with Jesus, be in the Word, uh, that's probably the primary way that we do that, although it's possible to be with Jesus in prayer and in other ways. Um, another piece of the armor that I don't want people to forget is the helmet of salvation, and uh I was reflecting on a Bible story, and I won't read the whole thing, but uh, just to give you the the synopsis, maybe you remember the story of Jesus when he's at the house of a Pharisee named Simon, and uh, a woman who is a prostitute comes up to him and begins weeping, and she's uh, crying all over his feet. She's wiping uh, his feet with her tears. And the Pharisee is thinking to himself, man, if this guy knew the type of woman that was touching him, that was, you know, getting this close to him, he wouldn't allow it. And, you know, he must not really be God because this is a promiscuous woman. This is a terrible person. And Jesus, knowing this man's thoughts, said, Simon, let me tell you a story. There's a guy who was forgiven a great sum of money. I don't remember how much it was, but, you know, let's say $5 million. And then another person that was forgiven a much smaller sum of money, $5. Uh, Which person is going to love that master that forgave them more, the one who was forgiven $5 million or the one who was forgiven $5? And Simon says, well, I mean, I guess the one who was forgiven $5 million, right? And, uh, And Jesus says, yeah, you're absolutely right. Uh, And he says, look, when I came into this house, you didn't, you didn't wash my feet. You didn't, you didn't embrace me. You didn't kiss me. You didn't do anything to show any sort of affection for me. And yet this woman hasn't stopped loving me ever since I came here. Uh, And he draws the conclusion, maybe the, the famous ending to that parable is, he who's forgiven much loves much, and he who's forgiven little loves little. Now, the irony is each one of us has been forgiven much, right? Each of us has been forgiven that $5 million debt, way more than $5 million debt. So true. And uh, we, in response, should have a great love for Jesus. The question is, do we perceive our debt to be that big? Uh Simon, in the story, clearly didn't perceive himself as needing a great amount of forgiveness. 
And sometimes we can have this self-righteousness in our hearts that makes us think, you know, God's really pretty lucky to have me on his team. Um, I'm a pretty great guy. Jesus had to go a long way to save some of these people, but for me, you know, I kind of met him halfway. And that's just so anti-gospel. That's so such a blurred and not even blurred. It's completely wrong view of salvation, right? Each of us needs God to do all the work, and we're all saved from a debt of sin that we could never possibly repay on our own. So we need to recognize if we do have that helmet of salvation, if we've truly been saved, we need to look at it and say, what was I saved from? I was saved from this insurmountable debt. I was saved from something that I could never possibly repay. And the more we recognize, my goodness, I have been forgiven much, the more we begin to have this love for Jesus that's that's birthed in our hearts where, where we think, I can love Jesus much because I recognize how much I've been forgiven. So that's maybe two more specific ways when it comes to, hey, don't take off your armor, keep your armor on. Two more practical things that you can look at. Am I glancing at Jesus or am I gazing at Jesus? Um, and... Do I recognize how much I have been forgiven? Those are two ways that our love for Jesus grows like crazy and how we can have this love for him that's truly undying. Um, Before we get to the end, I want to spend a little bit more time with you just sharing, uh, as I mentioned before, you're you're a real Tychicus in this church. You're somebody who has been faithful uh, you're one of our main leaders for our GCR ministry. You're one of our deacons. Uh, you play a huge role, uh, you and your wife, Lori, in evangelism in our church and uh, just numbers of people that come through your home and through your ministries. And yet, uh, you're not somebody that's on stage a lot. You're not somebody that's recognized in a big way uh, and so I just thought about you and your ministries, and I thought there's that's a real Tychicus right there, somebody who's not like a Paul, who everybody knows and everybody celebrates, but you're the quiet, behind-the-scenes, faithful minister, and you're also a huge encourager, which is something that Tychicus is mentioned for. I was, I was wondering if you would be willing to share maybe just a couple things, uh, maybe challenges to being a Tychicus. <laughs> what are some of the things that you come across where you can chafe against that, because I'm sure it's not always easy, um, and the joys of being a Tychicus as well. What's Where do we keep finding that purpose and that fuel, even when we're not in the limelight or, or whatever else? Well, I think of Jesus' commandment at the end, before right before he goes to heaven, he says in Matthew 28, go and make disciples. And and so I think in, you know, just in a very general way, that's every believer's job is to go and make disciples. And so in my life, what does that look like? Well, I'm a truck driver. And, and quite frankly, I'd rather be a behind-the-scenes guy. I'd rather be behind the camera than in front of the camera. Um, so that's just a natural temperament thing, I think. But what I found in doing what I'm capable of doing, like when I was working nights in my job, the, I, was, I was really only able to help the Rise Up program. Well, one of my dearest friends was helping in the Rise Up program. And so it was natural for me to go 
and work alongside him. And I just fell in love. I mean, those mm. are my those are my friends. Those are my people, and that was what I was capable of doing. So that was my ministry. The other thing, as a truck driver, I can call people, and I made what I'd call organic friendships with seniors, primarily at the time. And and when I think of who a real Tychicus is, I'm thinking somebody like an Art Cross, who mm. is at home. He's not able to get out very much. I don't think he's able to come to church in the wintertime right now at all, and yet he's faithful. He's encouraging. He's making phone calls. He's learning. He's got his nose in the Bible. I think of Carol Luke, who's still memorizing Scripture, and she still calls, or I call her, and and you know she talks about herself, and then she says, David, how are you doing? Um, and I have a number of these these friends as a truck driver, by God's grace, and you know, sad to say we've buried a lot of them, but they left their mark on me. And so there are times when I'm out on the road and I'm feeling isolated. I'm feeling, I'm feeling a little lonely. And, you know, I don't immediately call my wife. Sometimes I'll go to my memory work, you know, set it up on my dash and God will encourage me just through memory work, you know, things I didn't see before. Um, but sometimes I'm, you know, I don't feel like it, but I will call the next person that I think I'm supposed to call in that day, whether they're in our community group or whether they're, you know, one of the other seniors that I just adore. And I don't even think about it. And the Lord starts encouraging me through that. So I don't always feel like reaching out, but, you know, helpful smile in every aisle. You know, when you call somebody, you want to smile, you want to love, and you want to see how they're really doing, and you want to see how they're doing and try to have something from the Scripture to share. So in just just being faithful on a day-to-day basis, um, I think we've, we've led a community group for 12 years or something like that, and I've heard a lot of community group leaders say, I'm tired, I need a break. When I look to the Lord Jesus, he didn't take a break. When I look to the Lord Jesus, he endured. Um, I wish they could think of the Philippians 3, or yeah, Philippians 3, 14. And I can't, it's just not coming to my mind right now. Um, but it, it's just, I know, and, and I look at, at you, our directors and our pastors, you have busy lives and you continue to go and you get up there on a Sunday morning if you don't feel like it. So if if these great people in my church family are capable of doing that. There's no reason for me as a layman to just sit around and get lazy. I need to love people to love the Lord. Does that make sense? I need need to share Christ to draw close with him. What I love about what you're sharing here, David, is that on... (laughs) On one hand, some of the things that you're doing maybe are not the first things that would come to mind for somebody else, but that's because you're a truck driver, Mm -hmm. and you're just doing—you're looking at needs, and you're meeting needs in the ways that you can. And so simply calling somebody or being really good at memorizing Scripture because you just put it in front of yourself all the time is amazing. And I think that's one of the biggest— fails that myself and many Christians have is we we really have more opportunities than we think we do. We're just not using the time that God's given us very wisely. 
And maybe we need to find ways that we can meet needs even if they're not like a duh thing in front of us. Can I can I make one more yes. statement that I I think it's really important to for a shout out to my beautiful wife Lori. Um she is also a discipler, also evangelist, also loves the Lord. She does like being out front a lot more than I do. And so she meets people. She'll meet a woman who's married. And and then I have the privilege of, we have the privilege of maybe marriage counseling, of maybe couples discipleship, of pre-marriage counseling. And so I don't have to do everything because my wife by God's grace, brings a lot of ministry into my life. And I just love that. We we draw closer by ministering together. I know you yeah. and your wife do too. Working with your wife, with your spouse, is an amazing thing. Jeannie and I love doing youth ministry together. We try to do as much counseling and youth ministry stuff as we possibly can together. And so it's a real blessing to be able to do that. Absolutely. Shout out Lori Tashner. Uh, what, what a great example you two are. Well, as we begin to wind things down here, uh, I just want to close with an admonition to everyone listening. Uh, We talked Sunday about having this undying love for Jesus, and I hope that the plea came across strongly that my heart's desire is that the people of Salaville Church not be casualties on the battlefield, and yet even the Ephesian Church uh, is one that we can look at with a warning in our hearts. Uh, It's in Revelation chapter 2, where John is then writing to the church in Ephesus, and we get uh, a little peek into the future of the Ephesian church, uh, you know, years after the book of Ephesians was written. And uh, do you have that in front of you, uh, David, or... Yeah, I do. I do. Just evidence, again, that death is all, is pursuing us constantly. Yeah. Um, John says about the uh, Ephesian church, but I have this against you. It's Revelation 2, 14. I'm sorry, Revelation 2, 4 and 5. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. So he challenges them, and he challenges us in our faith. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. So it's another it's another way of putting our armor on is repentance yeah. from sin, repentance from being lukewarm to the Lord. He doesn't want lukewarm. He wants hot or cold. Yeah. And I want to be hot for the Lord. Yeah, absolutely. So that's a sobering way to end the podcast, maybe, but uh, a necessary word, I think. This is not something we can sit back passively and just sort of hope for the best. Uh, Even the Ephesian church, with the ministry of Paul and Tychicus and others in their lives, still eventually abandoned their first love and were called to repent of that. And uh, as far as I know, the Ephesian church isn't there anymore right now. So at some point along the way, the lampstand was taken away, and may that not be the case for us here at Sailorville Church. Let's persevere. Let's have a love for Jesus that's undying. And as long as that love for Jesus is there, then the rest of the things will will likely fall into place, and we will have a lampstand that burns brightly. Amen, amen. And uh, we, we thank the Lord for that. It's all because of His grace.
Well, thank you so much for listening to the podcast. Uh, let us know if you have further questions, and uh, we hope to see you next time. Congratulations, the 100th podcast. 100, woo And that is it.